Awesome. This morning I'm going to be speaking on uh, the main uh, idea of my sermon is on unmet expectations. What do we do with uh, these, uh, when we have expectations of great grandeur or even just expectations that are basic but are a core to our life and we come to the point where we realize that these expectations are not going to be met or they're not met. A uh, crisis comes in our life. How do we handle it when we have unexpected, unmet expectations in our lives? Um, May 2013, an article in New York Times notes that the suicide rates in middle-aged Americans uh, have risen sharply in the past decade. From 1999-2010, the suicide rate among Americans ages 35 to 64 rose by nearly 30%. The most pronounced increases were among men in their 50s, a group in which suicides jumped nearly 50%. Unreal. Researchers claim that there's many reasons, and the reasons for suicide are often comp complex, but this article hinted at a deeper issues that, uh, like failed expectations and the loss of hope, might be the root cause uh, for the increase of suicides. The boomers had great expectations of what their life would look like but that never materialized. Dr. Phillips warns future generations will be facing the same conditions that will lead to this sense of despair. We need to pay attention to this. When it comes to suicide, like it says, there are a lot of complex issues in, the, in that workings of suicide. But, uh, you know, like with these unmet expectations in our life when we're working and we put all our eggs in one basket and all of a sudden that basket breaks and our eggs all break, you know, that's pretty uh, hard to take for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, what? every decision we make today is going to affect the outcome in our lives tomorrow. And young people, we need to hear this because you're making decisions that are going to affect the rest of your life and you've got a lot of years to make decisions and so every time you're making decisions, if you think it doesn't matter, it does matter. You know, a lot of people, they're, they've uh, figured they're going to get the security in life. They're going to build up their income or they're going to just get themselves set up so that they can be comfortable in life. They can be secure in the end or, you know, they can just have a decent life and then all of a sudden they lose that. Scriptures talk very clearly not to put our hope in finances. We're here today and gone tomorrow. And so we want to hear this warning and... Uh, Take heed to what the scripture is saying. You know, not to put our hope in the things of this world. God tells us in his word that we're to set our minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. My daughter-in-law sent me a little YouTube, texted it to me, a little YouTube uh, clipping of John Piper. He was preaching the gospel, and it's just snippets of a sermon that he did on suffering. And he says that the world is in desperate need to see a church whose treasures are in heaven, not on this earth. It's the only way that they're going to hear the real gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, life is never going to work out exactly the way that we plan it to. Everything in this world can be taken and stripped away from us, except for Jesus Christ, our relationship with him. And, and um, why wouldn't that be our foundation if that's the case? When nothing is for sure, we need to stand up and pay attention and say, okay, we can't put our hopes in that. When Jesus says, seek first your kingdom and, his, and my kingdom and, your, and my... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that we need will be added unto us. This isn't uh, 
This isn't the way that I thought marriage was supposed to be or what it was supposed to look like. I thought this job was going to be different. I thought my kids, I never thought my kids would act like this or say these things. I thought life would be easier than this. We've all been there, overcome with frustration and disappointments in life when we've had our expectations shattered and they haven't come through for us. Both young and old, we've been there. How are we to respond? Do we re, uh, accept these difficulties and just get on with life? Do we just get over it? Do we just lower our expectations in life? Or is there another way? One thing I know for sure is that we can't let when our unmet expectations take place in our lives, that cannot dictate how we're going to react in our spiritual side of our lives. Are we going to throw up our hands and say it doesn't work? That God's not alive. That God's not, he doesn't care about me. This morning I want to talk about uh, the unmet expectations and how we deal with them. And it's one of the hardest things for us as Christians to do. We have a tendency to write out our life's plan, and then we expect God to make it happen. And as we have learned, or as many people have learned, life seems to have its own plan. We create an assumption, uh, this assumption that if I'm a good person, I will be blessed. And then this creates a disappointment in unexpected Unmet expectations. And when things don't turn out as we expect, we end up with a misguided understanding of the love of God towards us. The Bible is full of these examples of unmet expectations and the difficulties that brings in the lives of us as people. And what I'm going to do to, today is we're going to look at uh, John chapter 13 and 14. And one thing that we're going to see is uh, the... What's going on here is this is uh, the story of the upper room. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It says that uh, I was, it, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew, chapter 13, verse 1, he knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that God had put everything into his control. Jesus had a choice to go to the cross. Jesus had a choice whether he was going to go through with this and allow the leaders, the religious leaders, to take and, and uh, beat him beyond recognition and put him on a cross. He had a choice to lay down his life. And he knew that. And uh, something that's interesting here with these disciples, okay, we're going to look at uh, Peter, we're going to look at Thomas, we're going to look at Philip, and we're going to look at Judas. And these four guys are the ones that spoke up here at the Last Supper. What's taking place is that Jesus has gotten together with the disciples for his last time before he's crucified. The disciples have no idea what's coming, even though he's told them many times what he's doing and uh, that he has to go and suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and die and then three days after that be raised from the dead. They don't seem to be getting this picture. 
You got to understand that the Jewish people of the day and even today in Jerusalem, they're waiting for a Messiah that's going to come and rule and reign. And he's going to rule and reign in Israel forever, and he's going to defeat the enemies of Israel. And so this is what they're expecting. This is what they're taught from childhood up to this age here. They're taught that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to take care of us, his people. And so they've got this mindset. And then in Luke, there's a parallel passage to this uh, event that's going on here, the Last Supper. And in Luke's gospel, we see that... um, Luke talks about the Last Supper, but he doesn't talk about the foot washing, about the washing of the feet here. John talks about the washing of the feet, but he doesn't talk about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And so what's going on is in Luke, we see that the Last Supper is taking place, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And this causes quite a stir amongst the disciples. And he takes the bread, and he gives it to Judas. And it says there that as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him, and he went out from there to talk with the leaders to get them to betray, betray, betray Jesus. And so what also happened at this supper when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, Jesus, uh, these guys started to argue amongst themselves about who is going to be the greatest. What a crazy thing. You know, Jesus knows exactly what's going on. In this study, as I've done this with Jesus, it's amazing when you look through and as I've been just sort of pouring over all of this stuff you know before and after and all this kind of stuff i've noticed that with jesus with all of the challenges that he had he had such a uh, you know he just had his eyes set on the cross and as he was going through and he was being challenged by the religious leaders and he was being uh harassed and uh in his conversations and uh people just flogging around him he just had his mind set on the cross He knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what he was doing. And so as these guys are arguing, Jesus, it says, So then he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after he had poured water into the basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. So you could imagine, like in this day, the servant of the house would wash the feet of the company that would come to visit. And uh, if there was a Gentile servant, the Gentile servant was made to wash the feet of the servant who was Jewish. And it, like, it was the lowest of the lowest of the jobs uh, in the Jewish community. So these disciples, all of a sudden Jesus stands up and he puts this towel around him and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. So you could imagine this little dispute that's going on. All of a sudden there would have been a hush come over the room. And as Jesus is going around and washing these disciples' feet, he comes to Peter It's quiet until he gets to Peter. Peter's always talking. (laughs) You have to understand with Peter, Peter was a a strong leader. He was a leader of this group. Any list that's made of all the disciples, the apostles, Peter is always at the top of them. And uh, Peter, his name is mentioned more than any other name in the Gospels other than Jesus. No one is spoken uh, to by Jesus more than Peter. No one speaks as often as Peter. No disciple is as frequently rebuked as Peter. He's really an extreme personality of just jump and ask questions later. Like, it's really interesting study. And he, he's the only one who rebuked Jesus. He's the only one that walked on water, only disciple that walked on water. And no one confessed Jesus more boldly than Peter. And yet no other disciple verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Peter did. 
And Jesus took this domineering personality of Peter and made a leader out of him. He was already a leader, but made a godly leader out of him. And he was to lead the people of God. He was to lead the, the, the disciples. Remember when, Jesus came, when he, Peter came back, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. Peter was a very domineering guy. So then when Jesus is washing his feet in the hush over the room, and then he comes to Peter and he says to Jesus, he says, you're going to wash my feet? This was just about a little bit more than he could handle. He wasn't expecting this. And then Jesus says, Peter, he says, you do not understand now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And then Peter says, no. He says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part in me. And, uh, and then Peter says, well, at least wash my, my hands and my head as well, because this was humbling to Peter. Peter was used to a leadership style that was from top down. This was going totally contrary to what Peter knew and what all of these guys actually knew. A little bit more about Peter we see in this uh, uh, verse 33 of chapter 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now you see this domineering leader, Peter, who's uh, the strongest one in the bunch, he's having this conversation in this group with Jesus, and they were arguing just before this about who's going to be the greatest. And all of a sudden, Jesus is telling them, before the sun rises, you're going, to have told, you're going to have confessed that you don't even know me three times. So you can imagine what everybody else is thinking when they're hearing this conversation going on. They're thinking, Peter's going to deny the Lord by sunup three times that he even knows the Lord? What could be coming? What is going to happen tonight? So you can feel the tension it's going on in this room on this last supper. And then so Jesus, in verse, chapter 14, verse 1, he wants to comfort them. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Verse 4, he says, he goes on to talk about how God has prepared a place for them. And it's a verses we're quite familiar with. We hear them a lot at funerals. Verse 4, he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. Now our next character here, Thomas, he pipes up and he says, Thomas said to him, he says, Lord, he says, we don't know where you're going, so how are we going to know the way? And uh, I sensed a frustration here with Thomas when I was sort of studying this, and so then I did a little bit of a look up for, with Thomas, and turn over to your uh, John chapter 20, we see a little bit more action with Thomas going on here. Jesus, after the resurrection, these guys are hiding behind closed doors. Thomas is not with them, and Jesus appears to them. And he breathes on them, and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit, and then talks to them and leaves. And so these guys, they wanted to find Thomas. They wanted to tell Thomas, We saw the Lord. Now Thomas called Didymus, verse 24. It says, One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But, when, but this is what Thomas says to him crazy. After all that Thomas saw Jesus do for the past three and a half years, just a few days before this, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Thomas saw it all. 
He says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were I put, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is one of the 12. One of the 12 that walked with Jesus. You know, we get uh, pretty excited and we think that, man, if I could just see miracles, I would, just, there'd be no doubt about it. Obviously, it's not enough. You couldn't see anymore. John writes at the end of his gospel here that if it was written down, the world could not contain all of the books of the stuff that Jesus did. And so we see a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them in verse 26. It says, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here in my hands. Reach out in your, your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas went on from here. He went out and he evangelized India. He was martyred in India. And I heard just last week that there's a church in southern India that they say was started by Thomas way back then. And uh, all of these guys were martyred for their faith, except for John. And let's go back to uh, John chapter 14. So we see that Peter struggles with the idea of bottom-up leadership where the leaders are serving. He can't understand how this is going to work when a leader is going to be the servant of all. We see that Thomas needs clarity. He needs to touch it. He needs to be able to understand it from what he can see, what, he can, what is right there. It's tangible. And Jesus, a little further on, he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. So the next person we're going to look at here is Philip. In verse 8 of chapter 14, it says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Do you not know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, they are the Father's living in me. Who is doing his work? Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Philip here as well, like all the things that Jesus did, and it wasn't enough. And Philip says, show us the Father. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for us? Or has it got to be more? Like in our services, do they got to be more charismatic? Do they got to be less charismatic? Does the music got to be louder? Does it got to be quieter? You know, is Jesus enough? And uh, what Jesus is all about, is it enough for us? Because it's got to be. You know, like uh, the biggest message it seems that Jesus wanted to get across here in this Lord's Supper, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. He needed these guys to learn how to love one another. They're bickering about who's going to be the greatest. And uh, he's working on them. So these guys are confused. They don't understand what's going on. They're expecting a Messiah that's going to come. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. And what they're seeing is their expectations are not going to be realized. This king, he's supposed to be our king, says he's going to die. Where's, what's going to happen with our king? We see Judas in, chapter, in verse 22 of 14. Judas, he says to, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, uh, he says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? 
I asked the Lord this just, you know, within the last few years. I said, Lord, why is it so secret? Why don't you make yourself more known, known to the people around us, to the world, to our communities, so that they know that you're who you say you are? But Jesus' answer here is very interesting. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. If anyone loves me, you know, like he, he's saying that if anyone has, wants anything to do with me, he's saying that uh, my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. And it seems like to me, from what I can see, that those who want to know the Lord are going to know the Lord. It's an incredible thing how God has partnered up with us and he's deposited his Holy Spirit within us to go out into our community and dare to pray for the people that don't know anything about the Lord. You know, we wonder why we don't see the miracles and the signs and wonders in our churches in the mornings. We say, okay, we come up in a wheelchair, they go out in a wheelchair. And you know what? When you look at the scriptures where all the miracles were taking place, they were taking place on the street. They were taking place when they were preaching the gospel. Mark's gospel, at the end it says that he confirmed what they said with signs and wonders. When you, there's, there are stories I've heard where, uh, I don't know if it was Robbie Zacharias or who it was that was in an airport and he, uh, somebody had uh, hurt their ankle or something like that and he says, I know somebody that can heal you. And then they said, yeah, who's that? And he said, Jesus can heal you. And then they says, okay. And so then he thought, oh, they wanted him to pray for him. He prayed for them and they were healed. And then he got to share the gospel with them. See, that's what the miracles are for. They're not for our entertainment as Christians. Like, there's, you know, I don't need to be convinced. I've seen one miracle as far as a physical miracle in my life, and it's quite interesting what it is because, you know, like you think, okay, you want to see a miracle, you want to see a limb grow, or you want to see something that's just spectacular. I got to see a tooth being filled. I think a tooth being filled. That I did. I was uh, saved a week. And there was this uh, lady that uh, had the gift of healing and she was at the church that we ended up eventually going to. And uh, I'm sitting at the back. I've been saved a week. And, you know, like this is all new to me. And so I'm sitting right at the very back. And then she says, who wants to see? All I remember about this night, who wants to see a tooth being filled? And I shot my hand up. The church was packed. And then so she calls me up front. And so I went up front. And then she prayed for this person, and then this, and, uh, this person opened her mouth, and the silver was coming out of the center of the tooth, and it was like a finger would take it, and it would just brush around. It was like a cap was being put on the tooth, and it would bubble out and around the tooth about four times, and then she touched them, and they just were slain in the spirit. So, you know, like it would be great to stand up here and say, yeah, yeah, I saw this guy, he had no arm, and he'd come up for prayer, and boom, he had an arm. But I've got to give the humbling story that I saw a tooth being filled. <laughs> it's good enough for me. <laughs> I know what I saw. And uh, the miracles do happen. And it was a night of evangelism. And it was, uh, it was a, that was the night that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was a night I'll never forget. Being invited, asked up to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I don't even know what I was doing up there because I had no idea what she was talking about. And, um, but anyways, Judas was, you know, I think that Judas had a little bit of a fear of man here. He was thinking, okay, Lord, if you have to suffer and you have to die and you're not going to be around and it's going to be us, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for us because he's been their security. He's been their power. He's been everything to them. 
Uh, remember when they went across the sea and the demoniacs come out? I often wonder, you know, how much confrontation did Jesus have just from bandits? Uh, but these demoniacs come out and he casts the demons out of these guys. You know, like these disciples had to be a little bit fearful at different times of where Jesus was taking them and the, the confrontation that was taking place. So Jesus was leaving these guys and they're wondering what is going on. So Judas, I can see just having a little fear in his heart toward men. And so we can see with all four of these guys and really the rest of them in the conversation that goes through here that they, this is not what they were expecting. I think that they were very confused. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand what was coming. And then after Jesus was resurrected and it says that he appeared to them in the book of Acts, it says that he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and uh, many signs and wonders to convince them that he was alive. And we can see here that even at this time here, it says that they were together at one time. So when they met together, they asked him, okay, now they, uh, like it's a really a crazy story, this Bible story. But you think, you know, imagine being in the midst of this. These guys, Jesus is dead, he's gone, they're hiding for fear of the Jews. And then all of a sudden he comes back and they're going like, whoo, whoo, okay, he's here. Like, oh, you're back, Lord, that's great. Then they ask him this question. So one, when they were meeting together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is resurrected and they still have this mindset that, okay, he's back. Whoa, that was close. It's good, Lord. Man, that was hard. Oh, now are you going to restore the kingdom? Okay, now is it going to happen? Because now they can see it again, what they were thinking. But Jesus says to them, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. How we ever get to the place where we're predicting the dates of the coming of the Messiah when the scriptures make it very clear that even the Son of Man doesn't know when Jesus is coming back? How do we get sucked into that stuff? It's amazing, but many do. It is not for you to know the times, the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we know that Jesus sent them to pray to Galilee. They waited for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out, and then Peter stood up and proclaimed the gospel. Then the church went forward in the power of the Spirit. And so then, so we look at these guys, and we see them and their expectations and what they had uh, been expecting Jesus to do to set up his kingdom was not ever going to happen, obviously. Jesus ascended to heaven. He said he was coming back. But in the meantime, they were to go out and preach the gospel, set the captives free, heal the sick. All the things that Jesus did, they were to go out and do. Are we doing that, church? Are we going out? Do we go out and share our faith and pray for the unsaved? We need to. We really need to. I think we should be aggressively preaching the gospel. We could turn this community upside down in a very short time. But these guys had other expectations than what God's plan was for their life, and it sent them for a temporary loop. And as Jesus establishes his gospel, he brings a clarity to their minds about what he's doing and what he's about. And when we come to the place in our lives, when we come up against these unmet expectations, how does it strike us? It can be extremely devastating to us when we're losing our loved ones. My brother was 36 years old when his life was taken from him. He had uh, three kids, six, eight, and nine years old, and uh, 
That didn't make any sense to me. That was a totally, and uh, that was like, uh, wasn't expected. And it didn't make any sense to me. And it's still, I have questions like, I don't understand it, but I know that um, God is in control and he knows what he's doing. I went up, I had him working for me that year and because I had a concrete finishing business and I had a yard where I had all of my equipment and tools and forms and stuff. And then, so I sent him up just before I laid him off. I sent him up there just to clean it up and to organize it. And then after he had passed away, I remember I drove up to the yard and I just looked around and I could see all the stuff that he did. And, uh, you know, like it was devastating to me. But I really felt confident in my heart that God was saying, don't worry about it. I've got things under control. I know what's going on. And, you know, when we come to these places, when we have these unexpected, unmet expectations happening in our lives, you know, they can send you for a loop enough that if your faith isn't founded on Jesus Christ, if you haven't got your feet on solid ground, they can pull your feet right out from underneath you. A lot of things happen in life that hurt, and we end up, you know, like in our, like I was saying in your service that in schools when we're young, we've all been hurt. I'll bet, you know, like there, there's not one person in this room that hasn't been hurt several times in life. And what do we do with those hurts? You know, if we just get angry and we just hang on to them, you know, that eventually robs you of life. And, um, the whole thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. That's the whole message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did for us while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. He suffered an incredible death. And in that, so that he can say, I forgive you. He took it on himself so that we can walk justified. We can walk with our heads held high. You know, we have troubles in our lives at different seasons and we, you know, we're stumbling up. But that's just life. And when we're stumbling up and we're, sorry, we're even falling down, you know, what God wants us to do is to stand up. And stand up and ask him for forgiveness. Hebrews 4.16 talks about, I think it's 4.16, 4.16, He talks about coming to that throne of grace with confidence in your time of need. We need to come to the place in our minds where when we stumble and we trip, it says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're called according to his purposes, you know. And that's us if we are a believer. So by faith we believe there's no condemnation for us. We stumble, we trip, we do something we shouldn't have done, we've lost our temper, we're uh, saying things we shouldn't say, we've maybe slipped up on a lie, we, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, forgive me. And then we stand up and we go. We stand up justified. And it's just as if we'd never sinned. Jesus paid for the price, paid for that sin. So we don't have to live in condemnation. And we don't have to live in regret but we live in confidence of who we are today in Christ. And uh, I tell you, talk about a testimony to the community and the world in which we live. Huge testimony. This world is living under guilt. And we can walk in freedom. And do you think the world doesn't notice that? When we're walking at our jobs and frustrating things are happening to us, and we have a peace that passes understanding. We get hurt, we get frustrated, we react, but then we react. We do the things that we should do as far as fixing up the mess that maybe we've made by the grace of God. Amen. The world will see. Let your light shine among men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We all have hurts, but we need to deal with our hurts. Only the enemy benefits. 
when we don't deal with the hurts in our lives. I want to encourage you, if you feel like I can't get past this hurt, you know, call me at the church. I would, you know, love to talk with you because we can get past these hurts. It's a lie from the enemy when we feel like we can't get past this. If you can't get past it and you've tried, we can help you get past these hurts because it's a lie that's keeping you bound up. And so I want to encourage you that way. I want to read this little story in closing here. Uh, 2012 HBO documentary followed the performance artist Marina Abramovic uh, in her work called The Artist is Present. Over a period of 90 days, thousands of people streamed through the Museum of Modern Art in New York City for a chance to see this unusual exhibit. The entire performance revolved around a simple concept. Abramovic, dressed in a bright red gown, sat on a plain wooden chair. One by one, visitors would come onto the stage and they would sit in a wooden chair across from Abramovic as she stared silently into their eyes. She did not speak to them, she did not gesture or nod her head. She simply remained present and stared into their eyes. The result surprised nearly everyone. Every day, people broke down in tears, usually after just a few minutes of silent staring. Tears often filled Abramovic's eyes as well. What was behind this phenomena? A 32-year-old New Yorker talked about the rare chance to connect deeply with another human being. He said... We insulate ourselves in America. Everyone goes around with headphones. We can all be near all these people, and yet we're still alone. Abramovic noted that these people came quiet and still. She could sense the deep, lonely pain that many people secretly carried. She said, I gazed into the eyes of many people who were carrying so much pain inside that I could immediately see and feel it. I became a mirror for them and their emotions. One big hell's angel with a big guy with a big tattoos all over his body everywhere. He stared fiercely at me for 10 minutes and within 10 minutes was on the floor weeping like a baby. And I know there's a lot of pain in this room because it's just part of our walk in this broken world. And uh, I just really want to encourage you this morning, you know, like a lot of our pains come from unexpected, uh, unmet <laughs> expectations. You know, we're expecting something to happen in life. We've planned something, you know, like our marriages. We planned them to go a certain way. When we get married, you know, there is no thought in our minds. Well, there is probably nowadays, which is really a shame. I've, there's an article saying that the divorce rate is not as high in the church as it is in the world. A very encouraging article. Uh, but we're getting married. None of us are thinking that it'll happen. I know that nowadays we think, well, it could, because it does. But... You know, it, it, it's never like it's supposed to be. It's never as, uh, like when Karen and I first got married, eh, we weren't going to get divorced. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but like we had, like the, Karen was told by the pastor that we were doing our marriage counseling with, she had on rose-colored glasses. And, uh, that, you know, so we all, we get married, we have these rose-colored glasses. Rubber hits the road and all of a sudden this struggle begins. Because in marriage, what happens is we have to die. We have to die for the sake of the other person. And, when we, and that is never an easy process. Who likes to die? And some have to suffer before they die. <laughs> 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 but 
But that's life. It's a broken world. The world is broken, and God's grace is sufficient. And you know, like the harder the battle, the bigger the victory. You know, it is so worth it to push through the relationships. Karen and I have had our struggles. We've been married, what is it, dear, 36? She doesn't even remember. <laughs> 36 years-ish. And in 36 years, you can be guaranteed there has been some struggles. And I've been so abused. <laughs> no, I have not. My wife has been so graceful. I've thanked her over and over for staying married to me. So I told her, I said, if it was me, I'd have punched me right in the face. But there's hurts in life. It's a broken world. And we've all been hurt. And I really want to encourage you that if you've got pain in your life, let us help you deal with the pain in your life. Like, there's a lot of people in here that can help as well. And so, like, God has given us each other to get us past these things that the enemy is trying to keep us down. Like I said earlier, that we can't let these unmet expectations disrupt our lives with the Lord and stop us. You know, many times in the church we've been hurt to the point where we stop doing what we started out doing. We start out with a zeal, we get hurt in the church, and we back up, and we don't press into the things of God. We don't press into serving in the church. We don't press into fellowshipping with the saints because of the hurts. We need to get past that. It's worth it. And if we as a body can do that, it says, Jesus says in these chapters that the, the community will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. So if you're struggling with life, I want to encourage you to let us help you. If you have unmet expectations that are happening in your life right now, we have a great ministry called Stephen Ministry that can come alongside you and walk through a time like that. We've got great mentorship, discipleship programs in the church just to help you to grow in your faith and so that we can all be all that Jesus has called us to be because he's called us to walk a walk that the world couldn't walk. He really has. He wants to be so involved in this church's life and every other church in the city. He wants to be involved in all of our lives in a powerful way. All of the stuff that this word talks about, you know, it should be happening in all of our lives. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Deal with the stuff in your lives. Don't ignore it. Don't just push it away because it's affecting and it's harming you and others. So let's just all stand Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, that you sent Jesus. After you were resurrected, you sent your spirit to live within us, the spirit of truth. We pray for our young people, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that they would not listen to the lies of the enemy. They would not be convinced by great arguments about why the Bible is not true, but that they would come to you, Father, and that they would seek you with their whole heart, that they would put themselves into study of your word and learn your word, Lord God. Your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by your word. And so we pray, Lord, that our young people would take you seriously and see how involved you want to be in their lives. Father, help us all to make decisions today that are going to bear good fruit tomorrow. Help us all, Lord God, to be encouraging and to just be lifting each other up in prayer as a body. Bless this worship team, Father, for their worship this morning. I just pray blessing on them, anointing on them, Lord God. Go with us as we go out and preach your gospel, Lord God, this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.